Everyone, welcome to the Cultivate Podcast through the Grove Church. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor there, and thank you so much for joining us. And we are now in session number four of a series we're doing where we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And in this one in particular, we are doing a part two to what we talked about last time, where we're just talking about the second blessing of the Holy Spirit, baptism of the Spirit, speaking in tongues, just kind of that issue that can tend to be a divisive issue amongst Christians. So we're just kind of talking about that. And I knew probably going into it last time that it was probably going to end up being a, a, a two-parter, and it was. So just to kind of review, um, in, in the, the second session that we did, we just kind of talked about all the things that the Holy Spirit does for us after we believe. And one of them says that we are all baptized into the body of Christ by the Spirit. And it's something that all, it says that all Christians have been baptized in the Spirit. And in talking about that, that kind of led to what we're talking about the next week, because the idea of what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is not universally agreed upon amongst Christians. And there are kind of some different ideas. And so we just kind of spent some time, again, last time talking talking about that. And we, we got a pretty good distance into it, but I feel like there's more that we need to say, and kind of the way that we framed it, just kind of as a, as a matter of, of review, is, again, we've got, on, on the one hand, we've got that verse that we looked at in 1 Corinthians. It says that everyone has been baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. But then also in the very same passage, it says that not everyone speaks in tongues. And, but there is a group of people, by and large, referred to as Pentecostals or Charismatics, Assemblies of God is one of the denominations, that believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is actually a second blessing of the Spirit that comes after you believe. So you believe and you receive the Spirit on one level, but then you'll be baptized in the Spirit later and receive a full blessing of the Holy Spirit and necessarily the evidence of that will be speaking in tongues. And again, these churches are often called charismatic churches, Pentecostal churches, assemblies of God, Pentecostal, apostolic churches are all examples of churches that fall in line with this way of thinking. And as this issue gets discussed about really what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit and is tongues supposed to be a natural outflow of a good deep relationship with God and real and and the evidence of the Holy Spirit there's typically three different three different positions and um obviously with everything there's probably infinite number of positions but we'll kind of narrow it down to the three main categories and the first one is we've talked about the char- the charismatic position that the baptism of the spirit 99% of the time is going to be an, something that happens to you subsequent to your salvation it will be a what is referred to as a second blessing and the evidence of that will be speaking in tongues. That's the kind of your charismatic position. Now, on the, on the opposite end of that spectrum is what we'll kind of call it just in your mainline evangelical position on that is that everything that the Holy Spirit is going to do happens at um, salvation, baptism, the, the, the indwelling of the Spirit, the sealing, all those things that we talked about in session two. Those things happen immediately after salvation. And tongues is, is listed as a gift, but is, but is certainly not listed as one of the main gifts. And honestly, I mean, if we kind of go, we'll just, we'll talk about this way. We're kind of on the, on the, on the one extreme, right? 
we've got the charismatics that the, that that baptism of the spirit being subsequent and that speaking in tongues is necessary and it really is meant to be universal and so then the people then that don't do that or somehow have missed out on the fullness of what God wants to give and so we'll talk about on the other extreme not only do they believe that the Holy Spirit is going to do all of that but very often they will also add to that that the gift of tongues is um, these those kinds of supernatural gifts that were meant to expand the kingdom to kind of pre- preach the gospel in supernatural ways that are the the big miracle types gifts like healing and those kinds of things believe that those gifts have passed away and people who say that they have those gifts are frauds and or just kind of making it up kind of getting caught up in a mass hysteria and so you kind of got these two extremes that really kind of the way that they exist they kind of exist to kind of shoot arrows at the other one everyone is supposed to do this versus if you're doing this, you are a fraud. You you know that you're a fraud, or you've been kind of caught up in some sort of mass hysteria. Now you can find ranges of beliefs and thoughts about this all the way in between, from people who really believe in a second blessing and the power of tongues, but don't necessarily feel like it is necessarily supposed to be universal, or people who are like, "Hey, I don't believe in that the universality of tongues," or "I don't necessarily believe in a second blessing," but I understand that there are people. That that do is well, that's you know I you know I but it's it's fine or people who are like well I don't believe in a second blessing but I still believe that the gift of tongues exists but I just feel like it manifests itself in a different way you know you've got all sorts of positions in between those two extremes which to me kind of the third position the way that I would describe it is I, I mean for lack of a better word kind of a live and let live kind of approach to it and. Is it possible to believe that there are some people who are experiencing the Holy Spirit in completely different ways than one another? And because somebody or a group of people are experiencing the Holy Spirit in a completely different way than me, that doesn't mean that I'm right and they're wrong. It's just I'm me and they are them. And that groups of people, whether they be charismatics or non-charismatics, tend to affiliate together with people who feel and believe and experience God the same way. And so if you've been around me more than half a minute, you can imagine that, that I'm going to take probably um, the most diplomatic position on that possible because I believe that unity um, around all issues as much as we can is incredibly important. In fact, we talked about this from the very beginning that we need to make sure that we understand the different categories of theology from things that are essential to being a Christian or kind of foundational for Christian living are the things that are just kind of important issues but shouldn't necessarily divide us. And this falls into that category for me. Anyways, so we got the review and we kind of understand kind of the two extreme positions and kind of with the position that we can take in the middle. And I kind of wanted to wrap up a little, wrap this up just kind of by talking, make sure we kind of clarify some of the things that we talked about before. Because what I did, I think I made what I feel like was as best as a non-charismatic um, pastor can to try to make a convincing case for why charismatic people believe that the way that they do, even though, again, I feel like it says in Corinthians that there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit is for everyone, but not everybody speaks in tongues, right? And they kind of build their theological position around the patterns that come from the book of Acts, both for the apostles, who after already having believed in Jesus, received the Holy Spirit, and it manifests itself in tongues, the first time the gospel goes to Gentiles, this happens. When the gospel goes to 
some disciples of John the Baptist, it happens this way, where there seems to be a, a distinction between faith and this baptism of the Spirit, and that the baptism of the Spirit always manifests itself in tongues. So they kind of got these handful of examples from the book of Acts that point to this. And so then when you look at the passages in Corinthians that talk about not everybody speaking in tongues, well, then it's the, what it's referring to is it's talking about a very specific gift of tongues, but not this manifestation that kind of happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so really, they ultimately kind of distinguish between two different types of tongues, what the, what, what the apostles experienced, which was speaking in other languages in order to spread the gospel to people who spoke other languages, and kind of this personal prayer language of kind of ecstatic utterances and a prayer language. And it's really, there's two different types of tongues. And might not everybody have that spiritual gift Everybody at least has the possibility of having this special, this, this special gift. And so let's just kind of go back and make sure we are, we are all on the same page on what these verses are. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, it says, For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And so I believe that it is very clear that the baptism of the Spirit is something that happens to all believers. And so, again, what charismatic churches will feel like that they need to do is, well, there needs to be two baptisms, and they'll use different prepositions. There's a baptized by the Spirit, but then there's baptized in the Spirit, or, and, and that there's two different things. Or, you know, there's the baptism by the Spirit that's talked about here, but then there's the filling of the Spirit, which we will, in fact, talk about in a couple of episodes and really just kind of talks about what happens when you really get the full, the full force of the Holy Spirit in you. And honestly, personally, I believe what that is is an attempt to take an experience that is very important to them and is very powerful for them and shows a manifestation of God in a way that is very impactful for them and I have no negativity about, but really necessary. I mean, I, it, we've got to, we, we need to find a way to make it fit into this passage when really it doesn't have to, it, from my perspective, it doesn't have to be like that. It can just be when there was a moment post my salvation, and this seems to happen for a lot of different people where you kind of get this next level of just kind of connection with God and it kind of manifests itself in this way doesn't necessarily have to be like, well, then that is exactly what this is. I mean, it's not the baptism of the Spirit, I don't believe, because it says that the baptism of the Spirit is something that is universal for everyone in the body. And follow up, again, same, same passage, same topic. We're talking about spiritual gifts. Verse 30, even Paul asked rhetorically about all the gifts. Not everybody's, a, you know, are all apostles or all prophets or all teachers. And he says, do all speak in tongues? And so there's definitely a disconnect between the baptism of the Spirit and speaking in tongues. And it basically says that not everyone is going to do that. And again, I think that people like me, people from more in my theological camp, now I feel the pressure. Like I said, I feel like that maybe sometimes charismatic people feel the pressure to kind of fit their experience into this passage in order to make it universal, rather than just saying, I'm having this experience with God and you see it from time to time happen to different people, and I'm having it, and I enjoy it, in order to make it universal, you have to kind of squeeze it into some verses, and you kind of have to kind of, I don't know, 
hold your mouth just right and squint at it to kind of make it like, oh, okay, see, it fits here and really is meant to be universal. And I think in the same way, people like me do the opposite of that, where you say, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's not universal and you're telling me that it is universal and you're supposed to do it to me. And it's that I've got to figure out a way to minimize your experience. I've got to figure out a way to say that you, not only is it not universal, but you shouldn't even be doing it. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, we have, we've created these camps and we've created these camps where there's a right way and a right gifts to have. There's a wrong way. There's wrong gifts to have. And then, and, and it turns into this big fight and division about that. There are levels. There's levels of Christians and the levels of Christians depend on what gifts you have and how they manifest themselves. And, and, and you have this kind of conflict that I believe is bringing a lot of unnecessary division into the body of Christ. And here's the thing that is incredibly ironic. And I use the word ironic. Uh, you, know, you know, there's a song. Was it Alanis Morissette? Is she the one that sings the um, Isn't It Ironic song? And, and all the examples, like it's like rain on your, on, your, on your wedding day. It's not ironic. That's just bad, right? And so, and, and so like I try to use the word ironic and make sure I'm using it right. And like, the, as opposed to something that is just coincidental or bad or whatever. But I do believe in this instance, I'm using the word ironic. It is ironic that we would go to 1 Corinthians 12. And because of our different interpretations of what we think Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, that we would take our different interpretations of it and then choose to fight about it. And the irony is, is that is exactly the reason why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, because they were already divided amongst themselves around this issue. They were divided about whether or not prophecy or tongues, which one of these is the best gift and we should all have the best gift. And you know, and, and people who are like this are better than people like this who aren't. And people who, well, if you think that you're better, you're wrong. That's the whole reason why Paul wrote it. That's the whole reason why Paul gave him with the body metaphor in the first place, that there are a lot of different people with a lot of different gifts and not everybody has all the gifts and not, and there's not one gift that everybody has. Everybody, everybody is different and it's, and it's fine and it's good and it's supposed to work this way. And that we could take a passage that Paul wrote with the intention of taking a group of people, some who spoke in tongues and some who didn't, some who had one gift and some who didn't, and we could take a passage that Paul wrote to people in that situation, that, that Paul wrote to that were in that situation in order to get them to be unified and comes up with this incredible metaphor that has just become very popular for 2,000 plus years about the body of Christ that he would do all of that so that there'd be unity around the issue of spiritual gifts. And we take that exact passage and use it to fight with one another to make the exact opposite point that Paul is trying to make. We will talk about this more in the next session when we talk about spiritual gifts more broadly instead of just kind of about this particular divisive issue. Like in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I mean, he's just very clearly saying that everyone is different. They're going to have different gifts, but it is when we work together that the body of Christ works best. And that is exactly how I feel about this issue, is that there are people out there who are having more emotive 
demonstrative approaches to their relationship with God. They have people who have a more charismatic, they're, they are, they are more emotional. And I mean that in the best, best way. They, they, they seem to be more optimistic. They seem to believe more in the power of God and what God can do. And they are an incredible addition and part of the body of Christ. And people who tend to be non-charismatics tend to be more deliberate and academic and um, intellectual in their approaches to understanding the scripture. And people like that have a lot of to offer to the body of Christ too. And, and, and some of the best pastors and organization, Christian organizations I've ever seen are the people who can bring both of those things together, both groups of those people together, and have an impact for the body of Christ. And so, again, it is very frustrating that we would look at this passage and, and, and make the opposite case about it. And, and so no matter what else you hear me say, both in the, in the, in the previous lesson or in, in this session, whichever, like, do not hear me saying that I am, I'm wanting to divide because if anything, I'm frustrated, I'm frustrated by that division and wish that people would come together. But lastly, kind of, again, just give some more clarity to kind of, to what, what we believe as a church and kind of what I believe personally as a pastor, we'll finish this up by looking at chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. So in 12, he's talking about the body of Christ. In verse 13, again, he's saying, actually, there's a better way to approach all of this stuff about spiritual gifts altogether. And that's when you get the thing, the passage that was likely read at your wedding. 1 Corinthians 2, about talking about, talking about love. Love is patient, love is kind, love is all these great things. Never, never lets people down. It's, it's just, it's so great. Basically saying that love is the best way. And then he says, Really, the greatest things, the greatest gifts are faith, hope, and love. And, and the greatest of those three is love. And, and you're talking about prophecy, and you're talking about whether or not you're a teacher or whether or not you speak in tongues. And really, the greatest of the gifts are faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of those is love. We need to put our focus there. And then he follows this up kind of in this last passage on this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Follow the way of love. And again, as we're saying, he is tr desperately trying to get them to experience unity rather than division around the issue of spiritual gifts and eagerly desire gifts of the spirit, especially prophecy. So now he's kind of weighing in here a little bit that if we are going to rank these gifts and you are going to pursue, you're going to desire gifts, you should desire prophecy. Well, what, is, what is prophecy? What does he mean by that? Well, let's just keep going. Verse two. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not under does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. So when someone is speaking in a tongue, if you speak in a tongue to someone else, they're not going to know what you're saying. And But if you speak a prophetic word, you're speaking in your language to people that understand that language, and then people can understand it. Verse 3, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. So basically he's talking about there's two ways that God could speak through you, one in a language that people do understand and one that people don't. And he's suggesting here that, in fact, the better one is to speak in the ways that people do, people do understand. Verse 4, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. And so one of those is something that happens, and because of the, the experience that you have, the connection that you have, it really builds you up. He says, but prophecy builds up someone else. Verse five, 
I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Verse 6, now brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Now, I don't want to just harp on this too much because I don't want anyone to think that I am leaning too far in the other direction, then it's somehow that this is meant to be a harsh word against people who have more of a charismatic background. But I do believe that it is something that we need to, we need to put in here, which is that if there is a ranking of the gifts, is if there is one that Paul more, most wishes that everyone were to have, it would be the gift of prophecy as opposed to the gift of tongues. He does say, man, the gift of tongues is really good. I, I wish all of you had it. But even in saying that, I wish you all had the gift of tongues. I wish you all had prophecy. Even in both of those, there's the implication that it is not going to be true and that it is not something that one can say that one can, if you try real hard or if you want to, you can get this gift. Because in 1 Corinthians 12, a couple chapters before, he says that the spiritual gifts come from the Holy Spirit choosing to give them. It's not something that, that you can, it's not something that you can go and get for yourself. And it makes it clear that the Holy Spirit is not going to give every gift to every person or give one gift to every person. And so, and if there is a ranking system, love kind of seems to be there at the top, faith, hope, those seem to be near the very top. And then speaking to one another in a way that when I speak, it speaks in a way that everyone around me can hear that that, that those are the better gifts. And so, I, again, not for one moment would I want to feel like that anybody who is listening to this or you know anybody, if you're listening to this and you know somebody who comes from this sort of background, if you speak in tongues and you come from a charismatic background, I affirm that and love that. Some of my best pastor friends I've ever had in my life come from this sort of background. They have been some of the kindest, uh, most... Um, loving people that I've ever interacted with. I've had, I have great friendships with them. We never once, when we, and we never once ever thought to fight about this, even though we knew that one another, that we, we, we thought differently about this issue, but we just, you know, we, we agreed that we weren't going to let, we weren't going to let this be a divider amongst us. And I'm certainly not trying to create that, but I just felt it was important in a discussion about the Holy Spirit to make sure we kind of clarify some things and at least get some conversation going. And so if you come from that sort of background and you feel like challenged by this in some way, or you want to talk about it some more, or if you have some questions, I would absolutely um, love to hear. I'd love to hear from you. But the reality of it is, and I just kind of want to get back to, we kind of are missing the force for the trees here. We want, we, we fight about parsing definitions about whether or not there are different definitions or ideas of what baptism of the Spirit means. We fight about whether or not tongues is universal, or we fight about whether or not tongues even exists as a gift at all anymore. We fight about these sorts of things, and then we use this passage to do it. And I just want to come back. I want to, I want to you know, talk about this earlier, and I want to end here because I don't feel like I can say this enough. 
that we should never fight about an issue that Paul wrote a passage about to say that we shouldn't be fighting about this issue. And you certainly shouldn't use the passage where Paul says, don't fight about this to fight about it. And so what I believe that Paul was doing there in chapter 14, where he's talking about, hey, you guys need to settle down a little bit about tongues, is that I think he was speaking against this sense of elevating one gift above another, which was happening there for the Corinthians. And so we don't want to have that attitude, but we certainly don't want to take this passage, as so many evangelical Christians have done, is to take this passage and say, well, because Paul said that, that makes the people who don't do it better? Or what Paul's really doing there is minimizing it or saying it doesn't matter at all, or maybe that it hasn't happened at all? It doesn't happen at all anymore? I mean, that's, that's also not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that tongues is not the elite gift meant for everybody. But none of the gifts are like that. None of the gifts are elite and meant for anybody. And we absolutely shouldn't fight about it, but instead appreciate the differences. And like I said, some of my best pastor friends I've ever had have come from this sort of background. If you were to come into my office and look at the books on my shelves, you would see I have quite a few books written by people who come from this sort of background because I find it very important to be challenged and encouraged by people who see God and see the world and see the Bible very differently than me. And it is that sort of unity and diversity that I believe that makes the body of Christ work. And so regardless of whether or not you fully agree or disagree with me about this issue, let us make a commitment together that we're not going to let our differences of experiences or perspectives about a couple of chapters bring any more division to the body of Christ than it has already done. I would say for the last 2,000 years, but most specifically for the last 150 or so years, this has turned into a very contentious issue. Instead, let us just kind of come to this passage kind of open-handed, open-heartedly, and allow that Paul's big picture message of love and unity within the church to be the, our main takeaway. And we will, we'll spend some time tomorrow kind of kind of putting that issue aside. It kind of, it kind of came up a couple of times ago. It would definitely come up again when we talked about spiritual gifts. We just kind of get it out of the way. Uh, I want to spend some more time next time just talking more specifically just and broadly about what spiritual gifts are. How do we know we have them? How do we know which ones we have? Those kinds of things. So we'll do that next time. And again, thanks for joining us. And as always, I know this is a controversial thing and, and, and two sessions seems like we just barely scratched the surface on, on the debate and the discussion that has formulated around this issue for so long. So if you ever have any questions about that, thoughts, I would love to hear them. Love to hear your perspective and thoughts on this. Charlie at thegrovechurch.org, just shoot me a little email. And if you are not a part of The Grove and you stumbled upon this podcast, we would love to meet you. You can go to thegrovechurch.org slash connect and you can find us there. There's a form you can fill out, help you plan your visit. You can also find out about our service times and join us on a Sunday morning if you're local or you can join us streaming online and all the information you need there is at thegrovechurch.org slash connect. And so again, thanks for joining us. I'm Charlie Lofton, lead pastor at The Grove and thank you very much.